People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. Rodney Trudgeon here welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. It's a great pleasure to have in the studio with me an actress, writer, producer, and comedian Shimmy Isaacs. Shimmy, welcome. Hi, Rodney. <laughs> it's great to have you here. Thank you. But now, apparently, you were born and raised in the Boerland in Worcester. Yes. But you set your sights on the mother city to pursue your career. So you obviously had grand plans when you were quite young already. But just let's start at the present. You're quite busy at the moment, aren't you, from what I gather. Yes. I mean, even setting up this interview is quite <laughs> difficult to get you going. You, you're in the studio, you're writing, you're doing all sorts of things. Yeah. So you're going through a busy patch. I am, I am. I like to uh, refer to myself as a self-made businesswoman within this industry. Uh, I recently, which is when we were supposed to do this interview, I wrapped a uh, pilot sitcom that I'd written and created uh, through uh, CakeNet. Um, they created a division for comedians to submit some comedy uh, series sitcoms, and uh, I created two. and I and I'm very proud to say that both did extremely well through the choosing um, process. And then ultimately, uh, we settled on Frida, which is what I named it. It's also uh, it's a dedication to my mother, whose name is Frida, and uh, it's 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 based on my premise as a child growing up in a house uh, turned into a hair salon. <laughs> Literally, seriously. Literally, okay. my bedroom was a salon after hours. So, this is the, a sitcom. Is it a series that's going to run as a sitcom does this, over a period of this weeks? This is this is what we hope. So, we have, like I said, we have the pilot in the can. I'm going into editing this week with it, and then the executives up in Johannesburg will have a look at it. We will get a focus group together, and based on those results, it will then be determined if. It goes into a wow. full-fledged series. And if series. it does, gosh, imagine If that. it does, then I have a feeling I might have to stay in Cape Town a little longer. <laughs> You're not planning to leave us, are you? I am. I am. But Cape Town's your home. Cape Town was my home for 21 years. Um, my home has always been South Africa. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That and that is anywhere in within this continent for me as an artist. Okay. Yeah. So the fact, I mean, going to Johannesburg clearly means it's it's a career move, isn't it? It's 100%. for contacts and career. A hundred percent. It's a career move, but it's also, I think, uh, Johannesburg does, in the medium of film and television, it really does offer one a little bit more opportunity, you know. And I'm a, I'm a character actress. Um, if you just look at the scope of work that I've done within the last three years it has been extremely diverse because that has been my focus I am able to do comedy but I'm also able to do drama and I'm able to perform within whatever medium it requires and I think that for me is what is important is because uh, sometimes I think as, as, a, as a live performer we become so comfortable you know and I've always prided myself on being a fearless artist so okay, yeah. it's about taking risks yeah gosh it sounds like it and 
with the thing like um, this sitcom mm-hmm. called Frida, presumably you're just the writer or would you take part in it? Would you act in it? I did. <laughs> oh, would you act as your mother? Possibly? I actually acted as the best friend. Um, everybody did think that I was going to play my mother. But um, one of the things that I appreciate as a writer is the ability to step aside and to step out. Mm. You know, there are certain parts of my narrative that I don't choose to to be in control of. Um, but I did want to play the best friend. I just loved her anyway, okay. you know. Um, and then I was producer on it, obviously. And then I was the performance director on set. So it was directed by Tristram Atkins. And the two of us wanted to do something a little bit different. We wanted to apply the American method of having an coach on set and that is also the uh, the job that I fulfilled so okay. I was I was wearing a couple of hats yes it sounds yeah, like it yeah but what okay just what is an acting coach for the well, uninitiated know, right so an acting coach would be a director purely looking at performance nothing to do with the technicality of how the shot is set up or how it's, it's lit or whatever that is the director's job um, but um, so my my job was, and because this is performing comedy, which as you know, Rodney, it's a very, very complex thing. It's to much do. more complex, I think, when w- people realize. Much more complex. So we really needed to get those punchlines and we really needed to get those reactions. And so for a lot of the actors that I, that I handpicked, um, I knew that they were coming into this with with some anxiety and my job was to make them comfortable and get the best performance out of them possible. Um, There's also a tendency I think within South African television where we forget that the actor's job is to embody and to bring life and to create that environment where they are actually able to to perform and not being told to say the line just like this and stand there. So I really wanted to dismantle that kind of approach and have the actor show me what they've got and introduce something new that I might not have thought about even as a writer. And that is exactly what I wanted the environment for them to be. But yeah. also if you're shooting comedy, I mean, when there's an audience and you're doing it live on stage, you've right. got that constant reaction from the audience. So yeah. to keep it spontaneous yeah. and humor filled must also be a bit of a challenge when you're slaving away in a studio all day and get tired and you've got to deliver lines and you've got to make it funny. Oh, absolutely. Without an audience being there. Oh, absolutely. You know, but that is where the actor is, is, is exceptional because they understand human behavior just like the writer. Mm-hmm. And like I say, for me to create a space for an actor to just play and to, to have improv as long as whatever it is that we've discovered drives the funny narrative by all means, go ahead. I like that line you just said. Why don't we keep that? Oh, okay. And I think that's the kind of freedom a lot of actors really are, are yearning for mm. when it comes to... And probably brings the best out of them. Oh, 100%. And well. it's about trusting them. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I hired them. I might have picked them. But I also have to trust that they are able to deliver. Mm-hmm. And that for me is just... It's, it's a wonderful quality uh, to, to apply. You've given me already so many questions I want to ask you just from what you've said in the last five minutes, but we're going to take our first music break now. Mm. Shimmy Isaacs is my guest, and your first piece, Diana Ross. Now tell me, Brown Babies, tell me about the song <laughs> that I've chosen. You know, 
when you look at the kind of stories that I write, and uh, I always like to have a sort of a social message in things that I say. And uh, and Brown Babies, uh, in my interpretation, is about occupying spaces. Uh, it's not about claiming things back, but it is about just occupying the, the spaces. Yeah.
Diana Ross, Brown Babies, the first choice of my guest on People of Note, brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. And her name is Shimmy Isaacs. As I said, actress, writer, producer, comedian. We're going to go through these. We've covered a bit of your writing. Right. Because it's so nice that you are all these things. Because sometimes you talk to comedians, say, and you just think of them as a comedian. But I'm getting the impression here that you very much... I almost want to say a businesswoman in yes. this business because you do so many things. You're not just a comedian. Absolutely. And it's easy for people to think you are just a comedian when they see you up on stage. Oh, absolutely, because for most of the audience, that is the only medium that they you know, deal with me in. Um, but then I'm sitting across from you and, you know, you have to be adaptable to the environment, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and for a long time I've sort of managed myself. And yes, I have an agent and I have a manager up in Johannesburg, but at the end of the day, I am the product. And I have to, I have to navigate where I take the Shimmy Isaacs brand, but also where I take the Shimmy Isaacs voice. You know, and that for me is what is key. And um, of course, I can sit here and I can make all kinds of jokes. But what is important at the end of the day is that I get across what it is that I stem from. And what I stem from is change. And I am blessed to be within a medium that I am able to advocate for change. Yeah. Because you also mentioned talking about change and things like that. You mm -hmm. also mentioned, and possibly a lot of people won't expect this of you either, that you are passionately interested in politics. Oh, 100%. Um, now, apart from the obvious because yeah, of the yeah. situation in this country, For sure. what, what is it that has made you passionately interested in politics? Um, so my father fought in the resistance. Um, but I, I must say that our household wasn't very sort of political. Um, I only uh, became sort of politically conscious in my university years. I went to a Model C school in Worcester. 90% um, of my friends were white, but it was not something I ever questioned. And it, up until I came to university, I kind of realized, wait a minute, th there's a difference in, in treatment, um, you know. And so that kind of woke me up to, to those aspects. But I'm a registered voter. And looking at the history of people that has fought for us to vote, I wholeheartedly believe, I don't care what party or what your political views are, you have to participate in the democracy of this country. By casting your vote. By casting your vote. You absolutely have to participate. Mm -hmm. And that for me is absolutely key. Well, this passion with which you're saying that makes mm -hmm. me think, I mean, we've got to get the young people to 100%. vote. We've got to get young people yeah. of all races to vote. Oh, yeah. It's, their, it's a democratic right and it's such a privilege. Oh, 100%. But I also do think that, you know, I am, like many of us, are sort of glued to the international television set right now with everything that's going on in the United States. Yes. And something that really stands out for me is, for instance, if we look at uh, Senator Bernie Sanders and, and we look at his campaign strategy and the uh, and I really hope that we get to get to that place where our politicians need to actually campaign 
And I mean, don't just come out during election times. <laughs> you know, we are your constituents. We have the right to pose questions to you. And like any other job, you go for an interview, you are vetted, people look at your track record. And that is something that I think the South African citizens that we get robbed of. Mm. You know, uh, for instance, we look... Um, when a, a political party happens to win a province, right? Now, the mayor is appointed. I believe that the people need to make that decision of who runs the city. Because now we've got people being appointed and we as the citizens just have to kind of, wait a minute, who is this person? What has he done? Has he been in public office for how long? You know, what things has he voted for? What things has he advocated for? And I think there, perhaps within legislation, that needs to change. And that is my hope. Um, You know, but there are ways of doing these things of course you know um, but but that is a very important point right now because as you know within the city we're going through a lot we've got we've got the load shedding going on we've got a transport system where, where people are losing jobs mm-hmm. because they get to work late and uh, the boss is not happy I mean all of these things are trickling down and the people that is getting the brunt of it is your your working class people these are the people absolutely. that it's um, absolutely. so so absolutely. I am very passionate about this, and, and as I can hear, it's good to hear you saying yeah, these things. a hundred percent. And I hope you say them a lot. Thank you. And possibly even bring them into some of your writing or acting or comedy, because the mm-hmm. other thing I wanted to ask you is, um, it's unusual. I hope this is not the wrong thing to say <laughs> for a lady of color to be a comedian. Oh, it is absolutely country, not the wrong thing. It's to kind say. of. Uh, seems to be dominated by men predominantly yes mostly white but quite a lot of colored and black people who are comedians yeah but at the moment i can't think of another comedian of color who's female well, there's also Tumi Maraka, who's up in Johannesburg. There is Celeste and Tuli. Uh, there is Mel Jones, who's down here in, in Cape Town. So what, what I will say is, yes, I when I started stand-up comedy, it was around about 2008, 2009. And at the time, I had no idea what stand-up comedy was. I'll be very honest with you, because I am uh, an actress. Yes. And that was my, my, that's what I specialized in. And I was introduced to stand-up comedy by my late friend, Rustam August, who had passed away, and um, and he came to me the one day and he said, "Hey, I want to do this stand-up thing. I know you're an actress, you know, don't you want?" And I needed money too. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> and I said, oh, "You know, I was just thinking about a one-person show that I was going to write because before then I had created theatre productions with some of my former classmates in university at AFTA, and I thought, oh, you know, why not?" Um, it's, it's, it's always better to just, you know, carry yourself than it is to try and carry five people. And, and I did my first set, my five minute set, and the crowd went insane. They, they absolutely went insane. And I got paid that night in cash. <laughs> and that's when I realized this is something that I could build on. So I made a strategic decision to focus on stand up comedy because it was the thing that launched me and introduced the nation to Shimmy Isaacs, the artist, as opposed to an actress playing a part. I mean, there's nothing more sad when 
you hear an actor being spoken about, but being introduced as the character that they play on a television yes. series. Yes. That's that's that's, and that's not what any actor wants. You want to be known by your first name, and then you know, followed by the work that you do. Um, so that for me was was a very smart business decision that I made, you know, and I've been riding that wave. And um, and within the interim, I was able to really do what it is that I wanted to do, which is, you know, write films and make television, but also to take ownership of a colored narrative that sometimes can be misconstrued and misinterpreted. So that for me was was important, is that whatever it is that I put out there needed to be authentic and needed to be aspirational. I don't touch on drug stories. I'm not interested in that. Good. No. Good to hear. Refreshing <laughs> to hear. Um, Shimi Isaacs, your next piece of music, Sarah Vaughan, the great Sarah Vaughan, what have you chosen and why? Well, it's all about summertime. Oh, yes, okay. That's all. I'm a spring baby. I like sun. <laughs> we need a little bit of light in our lives. <laughs>
Sarah Vaughan, that was called Summertime, the great uh, Gershwin hit from Porgy and Bess, and another choice of my guest, Shimmy Isaacs, on People of Note this week, here on Fine Music Radio, brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions, actress, writer, producer, comedian. And Shimmy, you said you've just told the story of the first time you did stand-up comedy. Right. And I'm kind of wondering, because I can tell that you're a very well-organized person, <laughs> so I'm going to ask what might be a silly question. <laughs> How did you know you can do comedy? Because I'm told comedy is very difficult, mm-hmm. and stand-up comedy is even more difficult. Right. So was it just sort of youthful vigor, or how did you know you could make people laugh? Confidence. Okay. Th- that's key. You, you you must have confidence. First of all, nobody can teach you how to be funny. Okay. And uh, some people might have different opinion about this, but for me, comedy is all about interpretation of society and of situations and things like that. And uh, I, I do come from a hilarious family, you know, I mean, typical <laughs> South African family. <laughs> tell me you, more, tell me You more. will not, Rodney, if I take you over to my family's house, you will not leave there unscathed of jokes. They they will get to you. They will they will definitely say something. Um, but I, I didn't think that I was hilarious as such. But I definitely had a knack for interpretation, and uh, and I have a knack for for voices and for imitations and things like that. And my father, I loved to imitate him, and it used to like oh drive him mad <laughs> when he would like scold me, and I would go. <laughs> You know, but physical theater was also one of my majors. So when I realized, wait a minute, there is a knack for funny that I have, I then needed to find the right way to bring that to the audience on stage. So it's a combination of my theater skills. It's a combination of physical theater. And then, of course, it's a combination of characters. So once I understood that I just sort of morphed all of those skills together, voila. I can go the traditional way of just standing there and talking, but that's not who I am as a performer. And South African audiences love entertainment. So how do I entertain them? How do I get them engaged? Because sometimes the line doesn't have to be funny, but the reaction to what is said within a physical reaction, that is is what gets South African audiences okay. and most audiences across across the globe, which is, you know, what I've done. Yeah. That's the other question of these many questions I want to ask you, Shimi. We spoke about you living in Cape Town now, yeah. possibly moving to Johannesburg. You said your home is South Africa, but you have spent quite a lot of time out of the country, haven't you? I have. Just tell me a little bit about that, studying and yes. performing all those things and mm. presumably studying Black Nexus New York, a certificate you achieved from that. Right. So uh, I studied, uh, I, I, did a, I did a course, uh, I moved up there with my partner at the time, who happens to be American and from New York. And, uh, and we lived up there. Uh, I was living in Harlem. And I had a conversation with my dad, my stepdad, but my dad. And, um, and I was feeling a little bit lost at the time, you know. Uh, first time in the United States, I was about, what, 24, 25 years old, never traveled anywhere uh, outside of the country. And now I'm in New York, one of the craziest cities in the world. Yeah. And my dad, very overwhelming, mm. very overwhelming. So I had immense culture shock. And I was having this conversation with my dad. And he said something that sparked something in me. He said, anybody can bring home a picture, but I need you to bring home a CV. 
And I was like, what? And I understood what he meant. And so I had all this money, of course, that I'd saved up and whatnot. And uh, I called one of my friends who, you know, I have a lot of international friends, but I called one of my friends who was living in Philadelphia. And he said, you know what? There's a school that I know that I think you would like. It's right up your alley. It's a community-based place. Um, It's owned by a black woman because that was key for me. Um, Culturally, I wanted to have an exchange of of African culture. And uh, I then discovered Black Nexus, which is sort of in Canal Street down... Chinatown area and I went straight there I said look I have all this money <laughs> I was just I was just being like and I want to learn and I want to specialize and uh, I specialize in a technique so the woman who owns the school is called Susan Batson that's her name and she had actually created this technique called the need and then I decided to uh, to do that for three months my partner's mom for Christmas gave me extra money and uh, put that towards your uh, Where did you get all education. this money from? It says here that you, for a while, you started as a wardrobe assistant for various local South African magazine stylists. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you must have saved like mad um, and been so determined as well. Well, let's, life also wasn't that expensive back then. True, 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 true. <laughs> My rent up in Camp Street, Cape Town, was 800 rand a month. <laughs> <laughs> That's you the know? dim and distant right. past, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, I worked extremely hard. So I was a waitress. I mean, double shifts. Uh, I, I literally paid my dues. I mean, mm-hmm. I I was in retail. I would go from when I was studying at AFDA, I got a scholarship. From 9 to 5, I was at AFDA. From 6 to 3 a.m., I was working at the restaurant. I paid good my grief. own rent. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, of yeah. course, eventually you go from a good restaurant to a prestigious restaurant where you get a little bit more tips and things like that. <laughs> yes. So I was working at the CTICC, and, um, and I was really good at saving. I'm really, really good at saving because I was shopping at the Salvation Army girl. <laughs> <laughs> that explains but, um, <laughs> And I think growing up fast at that age also just taught me the value of money and that things can, it is possible. Uh, so money should never limit you from doing what it is that you want to do. Somehow, um, it just came. One of the other things you should do is be a motivational speaker. You're making me feel motivated here. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> <Shemi>. Rodney. <laughs> no, I do mean that, by the way. There's part of me that means that. I want to find out all about after in a moment. But first of all, you've chosen Barbara Streisand as your third oh, piece. Oh, yes. Now, tell me a story about New York's state of mind. That's because that's where I lived. And, I mean, I just came back uh, from the United States about a year ago again. I had a tour in Chicago, and I went back to New York. So I've I've gone back to New York a, a couple of times. Um, and it is one of the places, um, even though I was going through some cultural shocks, but it was really one of the places that gave me value. Mm. And... Uh, and, and and that validated me and that validated my craft. So this is an homage to New York. Thank you.
Barbara Streisand. You can always tell her voice, can't you, Shami? Oh. Barbara Streisand, oh. New York State of Mind. What a career she's had. Indeed. Do you sing at all in your numerous sort of... <laughs> <laughs> I studied music for about three years at Avdam. I must be honest with you, it's the one thing that gets me choked up. You know, so yes, I have the ability to sing, um, but I think if you want me to bolt out into a, a, a note, it might come out groggy. But it's the one thing, and 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 I am not, I'm not ashamed to say, but it's the one thing that gets me a little bit choked up. Oh gosh, that's yeah. interesting. Shelley yeah, Isaacs yeah. is my guest here, and you mentioned uh, after a few times, mm -hmm. which is the um, I'm trying to find it African Film, Television, and Live Performance University, right. which seems to have played a fairly large role in your life because you also, I think, lectured there or yes. you're doing something. Tell me about AFTA and why you went in and how you got there. Well, I was chosen, and when I say I was chosen. Um, you know, I, I found out about AFTA in 2003 when they they have they have a Joburg campus, and so the camp the, the Cape Town campus was fairly new at the time, and I found out about it just I was on my on my way to somewhere on a taxi, and a young lady sort of mentioned it, and she was like, yeah, they you know there's some scholarships you should look into that, and at that time I had already accumulated quite a lot of credits just doing acting workshops. Again, with every little bit of work that I did, I would take the money and go do a workshop here and there. Because circumstances, I couldn't go to university straight out of school. So I was 21 at the time. And then I had an interview at AFDA. And uh, so I had a, a long, f like, a, like a file with me of things that I'd done and showed them, you know. And, and I obviously told them my, my story and I was by myself, you know. Um, and they were like, yeah, you know, well, you know, first try and see if we can get money here and there. And I said, look, it's not going to happen. I'm, I'm 21 years old. Uh, I don't have any financial support at all. So I left, but they never went through my file. And Mr. Garth Holmes, the director and one of the founders, called my agent at the time that I had because I was still doing wardrobe. I was just doing everything I could under the sun to get myself into this industry. But I also understood that I needed an education because talent wasn't enough, and uh, which is why I would do workshops here and there because I knew that I needed to really hound and define my skill, you know. And uh, he called my agent. I was doing a wardrobe job, and she says, Shimmy, Mr. Garth Holmes wants to see you. And I was like, oh, pop, 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 pop. they told me no, no, no. And um, anyway, I went back. He looked at me. And then he was like, oh, you've done this and you've done this. And wow, this is great. And he just gave me one final look. He says, you know what? When do you want to start? <laughs> I said, uh, hmm, I don't know. It, it was so unbelievable. Yeah, I'm sure. It, it was so unbelievable. I can Rodney, I mean, it took me three months to tell my partner where I was going every morning because I was so scared that it wasn't real. So when something that miraculous happens in Gosh your life, sure. and he put me straight into second year, not first year. Mm -hmm. He put me straight into second year, walked me to the classroom and introduced me to everybody. And there I was amongst, uh, you know, kids that had come from other universities that already had a leg up on me. You know, but I worked my behind off. I was in the library every lunch, every break that I got because I understood that if I don't get my intellectual confidence up, that I could potentially 
I could potentially uh, spiritually and emotionally walk away from this. It's not that I wasn't smart, but you know sometimes when you are thrust into an environment that is sort of foreign to you, even the language mm. that was that is very challenging. It's very challenging. Yeah, yeah. But um, I again I had the the intelligence to know what I needed to do in order to get my intellectual confidence up, and that's what I did. And uh, and I excelled. I mean, I I excelled. <laughs> I my end of year marks ninety percent. I'd never done this great, not even in high school. So I was clearly doing. I was clearly now in something that that was just meant for me. In your metier, as I was say. completely the youngest yeah. appointed lecturer at AFDA acting department, yeah. specialising in physical theatre and human behaviour. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's key. Uh, so, um, the late Fiona Coyne was actually one of my uh, say, psychology teachers that used Gosh. to come into AFDA and, and yeah. teach. We, we call it core course, the theory aspect of it. And then, of course, there's the practical side of it, motion picture. But, yeah, um, I mean, what, 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 a, what a great, what an at honor. That point, yeah. At that point, when you went into AFDA, mm-hmm. had you actually done any acting professionally no you hadn't started your career no. hadn't lifted no at all. i was doing workshops here i was doing workshops there you know waitressing waitressing just um just hoping to be noticed but no not professionally okay. at all okay let's have another piece of music now hugh masakela what can we say what have you chosen i think what i've chosen is uh, stimela, stimela. Uh, there isn't much to say he was one of the artists that was exiled from, uh, w- within this country at the time. And I think um, you will also probably agree with me that there is quite a, there's a, there's a, there's a, I don't know how to put this into which, but there's a, a tenseness between people of color, particularly colored people and, and black South Africans, especially within this province I've experienced. And uh, this is one of the musicians that really just through his music, like PJ Powers, just, just has found a way to unite us.
Dimela, si hamba hanga malate, si vele talaku paji. Hugh Masekela, the great, may we say, the great late Hugh Masekela. Yes. Um, Stimela was that song. And another choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Shimmy Isaacs. I've been saying, Shimmy, we've been covering all aspects of a career. And what has been so interesting is 
there is a seriousness and a passion that's come out from you. As you said at the beginning, you're clearly not just a comedian, mm-hmm. but you're also not just a writer or just an actress. It seems, you know, you're a passionate philanthropist in some ways, oh. I almost want to say. Yeah. So, you know, we spoke about New York, but you have been elsewhere. I, apparently you were in Amsterdam for a South African Heritage Day concert. Yes. I mean, that must have been quite an experience. Yeah, it was. And <laughs> a bit of a surprise when I uh, got uh, contacted. Um, I was doing the Food Combat Festival in Darling, and I was scouted by a... Uh, uh, I was scouted by a man called Vim, <laughs> and uh, he took me over, and they kind of did like a whole um, celebration of Heritage Day in in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. and this was at the Royal Curra, which is a very prestigious theatre, and I was hosting this music uh, concert with just uh, many, many South African artists. So, so that was interesting, and then when I started speaking, and I was shocked to see the amount of South Africans within the audience, um, but that was my first abroad show that I did, and then, of course, since then, it's been London, uh, Scotland, uh, New York, Chicago. I just recently came back from there. Are these comedy shows that you did? These are actually stand-up shows that I traveled with. And people ask me, well, how do they get you? How do you... What unites us in this industry and across the globe is emotion. It's feeling. That's the human behavior we spoke Mm. about early on. And everybody, we are all the same. You know, we just... We just sound different and speak a different language. But the one language that's common is emotions. And people laugh at the same stuff. You just, as an artist, need to have the skill to set it up differently and to execute it differently. Um, and then you've got to read and you've got to stay current. And uh, that's it, yeah. Aspirant comedians, I hope you're listening to words of wisdom <laughs> from Shimmy Isaacs. And as we approach the end of the program now, mm-hmm. Shimmy, what are you up to? You said, okay, you've just done this pilot, which we spoke about. Right. I think there's some comedy festivals coming up. Yeah, yeah. So I have finished the pilot. I've also, I was contracted last year to write a feature film for Gambit Films, one of a, a great film company here in SA. Um, and then on the 19th of February, I will be performing at the Baxter Theatre, the studio, um, at about quarter to nine. Tickets are available on web tickets for anybody who would like to come. And then on the 4th of March, I will be here at the Artscape, where I am participating in the International uh, Comedy Festival. Gosh, as I said right at the beginning, you're a busy gal. You're a busy lady. I am. And then, I mean, I I go to Worcester uh, 24th and 29th because the town is 200 years old. And uh, And it's your hometown. It's my hometown. So I'll be hosting the gala evening. And, uh, you know, we're going to have some honorary people there like David Kramer. Uh, We're going to be handing out some awards. And then on the Saturday, there's a great music festival. Uh, So I employ people to come through and to celebrate with with the people of Worcester. Is that in February, the end of February? That is the 24th of February and the 29th of February. And 
I'm gonna I, I'm gonna blow your mind, Rodney. And in between those dates, I'm also shooting the second season of Iron's Flay. Um, <laughs> so I am a busy person, you know. Gosh. <laughs> I've got TV series that I'm covering. I've got comedy that I'm doing and writing projects that I'm doing. But this is what I love doing. I exactly. think. Um, and I'm, you can tell. Absolutely. You can tell. Yeah. It's been stimulating talking to you. Thank Infectious. You. <laughs> Although we shouldn't say that these days um, <laughs> with the coronavirus, right? Should me, your last piece of music, you've chosen another great South African artist who died recently, Johnny Clegg. Yes. Tell me about this and why you've chosen it. I think it's, it's sort of self-explanatory. I mean, Johnny Clegg, what is there to say about him? This is a man who... Uh, another one who bridged the divide, really, Absolutely, didn't he? absolutely. But also, I mean, the song I've chosen is Scatterings of Africa. You know, it doesn't matter where we are. I know that uh, there's also... A lot of people are leaving this country right now. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where I have found myself across the globe. I've always been a, a South African and an African at heart, mm. you know, and this is my home. So I cannot, yes, I might culturally come from the Borland, but I'm a South African first and foremost before I'm anything else. And isn't it funny how the moment you go overseas, you feel that more oh, than 100%. ever? More than when you're at home, obviously. Absolutely. And, and, and there's sort of a Patriotism to when you're abroad. Yeah. You when you bump into somebody that happens to say something in Afrikaans, you're like, oh no, wach, what did they say? <laughs> you know, whether you're Afrikaans or not. <laughs> yes. Do you work in Afrikaans at all? I do. So I mean, I am bilingual, like 50 percent Afrikaans, fifty percent English. So my home language was Afrikaans, and then when I went to high school, I went to an English school, um, and then I studied in English. So and I. Find myself, you know, having conversations with my folks in, in English. So, yes, I am bilingual through and through and through. Shimi Isaacs, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. And Thank thanks you, for Ronnie. stopping by in such a busy schedule that you have. Thank you. And we're going to say goodbye to you with Johnny Clegg. And I hope to see much more of you, Thank you on so our much. stages. And if you have to leave Cape Town, we wish you well and you deserve every success. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FMR.